everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. As always, I'm so happy to have you here, and happy early Halloween. We talk about Halloween in this episode and what it means and how you can embrace it, even if you aren't, quote unquote, a Halloween person. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. Her name is Sarah Jenks. Sarah is an ordained priestess in the 13 Moon Mystery School. Sarah thought she was destined to have an in-the-box life after going to a top college, working in advertising, and then creating a successful emotional eating company. But that is not what happened or what she's doing now, and she is going to tell you about the turning point in our conversation. Sarah's work is now centered around integrating sacred feminine wisdom and ceremony into our everyday lives so that we can create the most rich, sexy, fun, and meaningful existence. She offers mentorship programs and sacred counsel around the body, marriage, motherhood, and work, and runs an incredible monthly membership community where women and non-binary people come together for moonly ceremonies, astrology oracles, and lessons on the nuts and bolts of what it means to have a sacred feminine life. Now we talk about a lot of things in this podcast. There's a lot of links in the show notes for everything that she talked about. She does have a free three-day program that actually started yesterday, but you can get the recording and you can get in on it. If you want to take part in that, just go to christinehassler.com slash Sarah, S-A-R-A-H. And everything else that she mentions in the show, every other link is in the show notes. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor, Organifi. Have you gotten your Organifi goodies yet? Are you running low? Remember, you can always get 20% off with my discount code. Go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it or use promo code over it at checkout. Organifi gives you all the stuff you need and their green juice, their red juice, their immunity booster. I love their gold mix where you can make amazing turmeric lattes for yourself. Everything tastes great. You can trust the ingredients. It's easy to mix into your smoothies or just your water. Look, staying healthy is becoming more and more and more and more important when you're doing personal growth work. If you're not taking care of your physical body, you're missing a big part of it. And Organifi is an easy way to do that. So again, go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it or use promo code over it at checkout. And now on to my conversation with Sarah. Sarah, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you. And as I said in my intro, I love it when I have actual friends on the show because Mm. I love, I love interviewing anyone, but when I can interview a friend and have a conversation with a friend, it just adds a whole other dynamic intimacy to, to the show, which I love. I feel like we can go a level deeper, which I really love. For sure. And my audience, they love the deep end. Good. This is perfect. (laughs) Before we started recording, um, you started talking about how you're embracing how weird and witchy you are. Yeah. Which I love. And I think I know what you mean by that, but I'd love for you to elaborate on what you mean by weird and witchy. Yeah, totally. Well, I've been playing around with this word normal recently because I've noticed I've been saying it a lot, like Mm. what's normal, what's not normal. And like, I'm not normal this, or sometimes I'm super normal. And what I really realized after I was hearing myself saying it a bunch was what I, what I meant was conventional. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is that it's actually very normal to be weird and witchy on the inside. And we have gotten so far away from our range and our wildness and our magic and our medicine. But the truth is we all have it. And Mm -hmm. 
I grew up outside of Boston, um, very close to where I live right now in a pretty traditional town. And the, you know, it was not, um, oh, hi <laughs> or Boulder <laughs> Berkeley. or Bali or, you know, any, a place like that. Um, and I feel so lucky to grow up where I did. I got the best education and was surrounded by some of the most successful people. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of space for me to be weird and witchy, but I was, you know, when I was little, I could feel the unseen language of the universe around me. I was always mm-hmm. making potions. We would go, you know, to the bookstore to buy, you know, like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And I'm like buying tarot cards, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was in me, but I judged it in myself because I didn't have models for people who expressed it. And I grew up in the nineties in a time where it was super weird to have like a witchy side. It was seen as super Mm -hmm. gothic or fringy or, you know, linked with darkness. And I really pushed it aside for so long. And so I, I've been in the spiritual world for a long time. I'm an ordained priestess. I've been studying the sacred feminine for 10 years, but we're all like onions. And I'm Mm -hmm. in this time in my life where it feels just like one of the last fucks around, (laughs) like (laughs) how much can I reveal the depth of my soul in archetypal form on the internet Mm -hmm. as art And as Mm -hmm. a sacred practice and in the process, noticing still my own layers of internalized patriarchy and internalized Mm -hmm. fear that people are going to reject me, that people aren't going to accept me, that people are going to think that I've gone off the rails or that I'm crazy. And it's been so amazing because as I was telling you, we're doing this three-day ceremony over Halloween, which the Celtics call Samhain, we're doing a traditional death and rebirth ceremony. And on the day that you and I are recording this, we have over 13,000 people signed up. Mm -hmm. So the story that it's weird or the story that it's not normal to intimately crave these sacred feminine spaces, it's just over. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just here. You know, Mm -hmm. people keep saying that the sacred feminine is rising, but I believe that the sacred feminine is here. Yeah. For people that may be going, I think I know what you're talking about, but I'd love more of a definition. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How would you define the sacred feminine? Yeah. So the sacred feminine for me is about the birth cycle. If we think of the masculine as the sun, where it's, The sun basically rises and sets at the same time every day. There's a steadfast, linear container holding of the masculine. And for me, the feminine is reflected in the seasons where we have the birth of the spring and the soaking in of the sun in the summer, and then the release of the fall, and then the death in the winter that then of course brings compost and rebirth to the spring. And we see this cycle in the phases of the moon and we see this cycle in our menstrual cycle. And 
when we think about women as cyclical, when we think about the feminine as cyclical, and we both have, you know, all genders have masculine and feminine in us. We can allow ourselves to be rapidly changing and to be birthing things all the time. So I like to think that the masculine is a sustaining energy and the feminine is a creative energy. Mm, mm, mm. And what does the word sacred mean to you? Mm. For me, sacred is, it's like the feelings underneath the material. Mm -hmm. When we bring intention, consciousness, meaning to any material act, I believe it makes it sacred. It's Mm -hmm. about walking into a space that's been tended to, it could be your grandmother's house or a Catholic church or a sacred feminine temple. And you walk in and you just feel it. Your Mm -hmm. whole body shifts. And sometimes you feel more grounded and held. Sometimes you feel more alive and excited, but there's a frequency that makes you feel something beautiful, amazing, a certain way. It's that frequency. It's that energy behind things that gets cultivated. To me, that's what the sacred is. Mm, I love that. Thank you for indulging me and diving deeper into those things. Um, What you were saying in the beginning about being a a girl, a young girl, I imagine it was from you were little into your teenage years. And then you maybe started to mute it when we get those awkward, oh, people are thinking of me and people are watching me kind of things. And you're talking about, well, I wanted to buy the tarot cards or I was, but I knew that was different. And what I really heard you saying in that is now you're giving yourself full permission Mm -hmm. to be you. And what I want to emphasize to the listeners is for the listener, it may not show up as witchy. You might not have been drawn to tarot cards, but you might've like really loved art Mm -hmm. or you might've really loved music or you might've really loved, I don't know, you were obsessed with the royal family. I mean, who knows what it was that was your thing. And it's just giving yourself full permission to honor those deep longings and expressions. I think Mm -hmm. that's the better word. Honor those deep expressions of what's naturally been inside of you for so long, because one of the superpowers and liabilities of the feminine is our adaptability. Yeah. So what's amazing about us is we can be so adaptive. I mean, I really like watch myself go from business person to mother just by walking downstairs and and flex all day long. And it just is natural. Um, stressful at times, but fairly natural. But that adaptability can be a liability when we adapt ourselves into what we think is the norm mm-hmm. and we adapt ourselves out of our uniqueness. Yeah. So for a woman who's feeling like, wow, I've adapted so much, Sarah. I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even like, I don't even know what my version of quote unquote tarot cards is. Yep. What do you say to her? Yeah, it's such a great, it's such a great question. So the thing that I want to say is it's important to first look at how you believe you're going to feel when you accomplish the current path that you're on even if it's the wrong one, right? So if you're like, 
I'm just going to finish medical school. I just have to get to VP. I just got to get my kids through high school. And then you're, and then there's a, then what? Then I'm going to feel how, do what? Accomplishing the path is giving you some sort of permission to do or be something. What is that thing? And then what I need you to know is accomplishing the path that you're on isn't actually going to give you permission to do that thing. Oh, say that again, because that's... Yep. Accomplishing the path that you're on isn't actually going to give you permission to do that thing, nor is it going to give you the feeling you think you're going to get. Like getting to the finish line, whatever. Getting to the finish finish line. line. Yep. Checking off the boxes, following the rules, completing the textbook. We think, we hope it's going to give us a certain feeling, but it's actually not. Because I want you to ask yourself, have you already accomplished like a hundred different things? Yes. Because I'm sure everybody here is a highly successful person. And have you- someone judged themselves as not. I know, but but if you like take a minute, (laughs) you know, I'm sure you've done a lot in your life. Yeah, yeah. Even actually surviving trauma. It's like, probably not, you know, Yeah. Yeah. or we're waiting for the pat on the back from our parents. We're waiting for someone to give us permission. We're waiting for someone else to change first, like our partner or our sister or our best friend. And then we feel like we will have permission to do it, but that's not going to work. So what does work? What does work is piecing apart our conditioning from our soul. So I believe that our soul came into this lifetime with absolute clarity and a blueprint around who we are. Mm -hmm. And because of the culture we live in, we aren't going to get clues for what our soul is supposed to do by looking externally. We can only look internally. And this is, and there are many ways to do that. And the way that I do it is through ceremony. And I was a life coach for a very long time. And I've tried like literally every modality over the sun. And it wasn't until I sat in a very specific type of sacred feminine ceremony where I had absolute clarity around who I was and what I was here to do, because I finally had the right environment for me to look inside and to hear who I actually am. So it's super important for everyone to find the modality that works for them. And Mm -hmm. in these ceremonies, I hold a certain frequency, a certain sacred feeling that, that I've been trained to do that helps people drop out of the conditioning or out of the personality and deeply hear our soul. And then Mm -hmm. the work is to rearrange the external in order to support the internal. And um, that's a thing to do. <laughs> can you give, because I know my audience, can you yeah. give an example of yeah. what that may look like? Yes. Okay. So I'll give you an example from my life. So I had a very successful weight loss company for many years, like a multi seven figure weight loss company. And I was starting to get the the whispers that I was on the wrong path. You know, things started not going too well. My marriage started falling apart. That was like more of a brick. But 
<laughs> when I was in ceremony, what I kept hearing was, Sarah, you're meant to lead ceremony. And I was like, what? No, I am like this, like traditional girl from Boston. I have a great thing going. There's no way my current audience is going to be into me shifting into sacred feminine work. It's just like ridiculous, like so out of left field. No, but I kept going to ceremony because I felt really good when I was there. And I I just kept getting hit over the head with this message. And then my business started falling apart. I really feel like the goddess was giving me no excuses to continue doing what I was doing. However, I was scared out of my mind. And so I had to do the inner work to understand what were my fears? Who was I worried I was going to disappoint? Um, who was I staying small for? And how could I move through those fears and, and show up anyway for me? <laughs> and when I did that, it had a pretty profound ripple effect where it meant my marriage. Cause when, when we're pretending to be someone we're not, and then we finally decide to be someone we are, it impacts everybody. Yeah. It's dominoes. It, they're total mm-hmm. dominoes. So it, I had to completely rearrange my marriage. I had to rearrange my friendships. I had to rearrange, you know, familial relationships and how they saw me. Cause all of a sudden it's like, I'm different. And mm-hmm. I had to reintroduce myself to everybody and create new agreements for how they were allowed to be with me. You know, like in some of my old friendships, I planned every birthday and I was always the one who was there. And I was always a yes person and I was always available. But if I wanted to be a priestess, I couldn't, I had to be in integrity with my yeses Mm -hmm. and my no's. And I had to create more space for me to, practice and be in ceremony. And I had some friends who celebrated the shit out of me. And I had some friends who really didn't like that. I wasn't always available for them anymore. Yeah. And so that's part of the, the rearranging that needs to happen in literally every single area. And also in my health, like I started running really major energy through my body and I wasn't healthy. My body couldn't handle it. So I had to completely change how I was feeding myself, how I was treating myself. And that took a lot of time, which means I had a lot less time for other things, including work, which mean, meant I have to stop over committing with the things that are on my plate and hire a new team and da, da, da. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's And every- you have three kids. And I have three kids. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And there was a lot there around like childcare and negotiating you know, parenting agreements with Jonathan and when he gets home from work and when, when he leaves and what, you know, all the things, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're using rearranging because it's such a great metaphor for, for it's not like you're getting a whole new house. No. Which feels daunting, but just the way the furniture is placed, it just doesn't work. It's bad feng shui. It doesn't work. You need more space. Yeah. And so rearranging, um, I I can think of a lot of people probably that are in that space with rearranging their marriage, because one of the things I hear so often from people just had a session with a client just before this of I'm growing 
Yeah. I've changed. Yeah. My partner isn't. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. This is like my favorite thing to talk about. Mm. <laughs> Let's go there. Yeah. I mean, this happened with me and Jonathan. I'm married to a surgeon and he was not on the personal development path at all. Yeah. And I was growing so much and so fast. And the issue in our marriage was that he was threatened by my growth mm-hmm. and he was pretty edgy with me and he, he wasn't a great partner. And so there, I will say like, there are some, there are some partners who are not necessarily like reading personal development books, but they're showing up for the assignment of being a good partner. And so they, some people just already come in as ascended masters and they're in devotion to making it work. That's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about just the act of reading personal development books. Um, I'm talking about when there's a mismatch and really what it boils down to is that I was putting in a huge effort into my own growth and into our marriage. And I was probably putting in like 90% effort of my capacity. And Jonathan was putting in five to 10%. And this is what I see, especially women, women who are with men, where Mm -hmm. men have been conditioned to believe they don't have to put in any effort or their effort now in our generation is towards the children and the home, Mm -hmm. but not towards themselves or their partner. Right. And actually developing a loving relationship. So with Jonathan, this is what I said to him. And this is the script that I give my clients a lot. I said, my love, I am so sorry. When you met me at 21 years old, I was a party girl doing keg stands at the frat house. (laughs) And I was... I didn't have a lot of expectations and I didn't really know what I wanted. And I was just like game for anything. And I love you. And I believe that we're soulmates and I'm different now. And I've grown a lot and I'm never going to be that woman again. And this is what I am going to have in my lifetime in partnership. I am going to have a man who loves to dream who wants to create a big, beautiful life with me. I'm going to have a man who understands the language of our wounds and our inner children and can sit with me in the hard conversations and like not raise your voice. I am going to be with a man who wants to be in ceremony with me, who wants to meet me on the spiritual realms. And I'm going to be with a man who wants to hold this house with me. I would love for this man to be you. Mm. I think you're amazing. And I think you're up for it, but I need to know if this is what you want. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hell yeah, this Mm. is what I want. You got an immediate hell yeah. I got an immediate hell yeah in, in verbal, Mm. but not action right away. And so we did a lot of work to understand his conditioning and why the embodiment was harder in the beginning. We did every course and a ton of therapy. And now Jonathan is 
exactly that job description. Turns out, obviously, I had a lot of work to do also (laughs) in the process. (laughs) And um, now we teach a course called Modern Marriage where we help close this growth gap between men and women and get couples on the same page. But, and Jonathan teaches a course called Men's Work that's just for men who are Mm -hmm. new to the personal development journey. But what I will say is that it is the hardest work I've ever done. And I have done a lot of hard work and I'm the happiest I've ever been because I am so met by my partner Mm -hmm. and our marriage really sucked for Mm -hmm. a very long time. And so I really believe that if both people are willing to do the work and to put in equal effort, you can come back from anything. Yeah. And you've been together how long now? 20 years or something? Yeah. 17 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, John, we met when we were 21, Jonathan just turned 40 yeah. over the weekend, you know, like yeah. we've, we've literally grown up together, but if you don't deliberately consciously grow up, you end up triggering each other's like whatever age you were when you, when you met. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got all your inner child stuff that you, you trigger yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. I love what you said about closing the growth gap. I mean, that's something my husband and I work on with couples so much. And, and it's interesting, like people look at our relationship, my husband and I and go, Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Cause you've both done so much growth. And I go, it's still hard because oh, yeah. we're still humans who get triggered. And sometimes it's harder because we can use all our knowledge against each other, you know, like he can be like, you're in hypervigilance. And I'll be like, you're in a trauma response. (laughs) And, And, um, but it really comes back to like, what we always come back to is a couple things. One, we're on the same team. Yeah. Two, we can fantasize that it'd be better with someone else, but wherever you go, there you are. And like your stuff's going to come up with anyone. And so we always encourage couples if both people are willing to grow, work on it, like go for it. What, for people listening, when do you actually say, you know what? I think this relationship, the sacred contract's over and it's time to move on. Yeah. I mean, I think you got to really give it a go. I really believe in putting in the work. I think if one person is like, I refuse to work, I'm just not changing go be with somebody else. Like I have so many friends who are getting divorced right now and are meeting the most amazing people. Yeah. And are just like so met and so happy. There are so many amazing people out there looking for you. I think it's a real old paradigm to believe you have to stick with one person as long as you possibly can. If you're miserable, no, thank you. Yeah. 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 And I have my own thought of that with kids too, because after doing this for 20 years, I haven't seen a trend of adults whose parents stayed married, stayed married, but were unhappy are better off than adults whose parents got divorced and actually went and lived happier lives. For sure not. The, 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 The grown children of unhappily married parents are not better adjusted. Yeah, Again, sure. I haven't done a huge, you know, Harvard research longitudinal study on this, but yeah. in 20 years, I think I can make a couple observations yeah. and that's one that I make. And yeah, it's hard. And every child wants their parents to stay together, but we have to think about like, what are we modeling, you know, for, for children? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those things where there's not easy answers and there's not a one size fits all approach, but I love that the script you gave and I love the way that you um, have that conversation because 
and this is for relationships or friendships or business or whatever, yeah. you didn't go at it with a lot of finger pointing. No, you went I took at full it with, responsibility. Exactly. You know, exactly. and Jonathan and I had this great free workshop called marriage reset that I can send you the link to. And it, yes. it's just like, we teach it together. It's for couples to come on. You can just download it and watch it right away. Like before a date night or one thing that we often tell couples to do if the tensions are high is we also have it in podcast form, listen to it separately and then come mm-hmm. back together and discuss because we're less triggered when we're alone often. Mm-hmm. And we really break it down. It's really very simple. It's like, if one person wants a great relationship and the other person wants a, is just like fine with a sort of sucky relationship. It's just never going to work. Yeah. You know? And like, why not have a great relationship? Like at the end of the day, it's like really that simple. Yeah. 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 Like, are you going to try or are you not going to try? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you know, trying involves looking at your own stuff, which not a lot of people are ready or willing to do. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. I mean, we could (laughs) spend the relationship from forever. Um, I want to go back though to, cause we're using a word that you and I have an understanding of. Did you study with Ariel Spilsbury, by the way, ever? Yeah. So I, yes. So I actually haven't studied with Ariel specifically. We we have sat together a few times, but, um, Elaine Kalila Dowdy, who is her Mm -hmm. protege, so to speak, is my teacher and mentor. So yes, I'm in lineage. That's what I'm ordained. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I'm like, no wonder. (laughs) Oh, so good. Yeah. We totally get each other. Yes. So we've been using the word priestess, Mm -hmm. which, you know, people may have assumptions about or may not know. And people hear the word priest. I mean, I grew up raised Catholic, so I have my own, you know, images of what a priest is. What is a priestess? Well, to me, a priestess is a person who stands at the veils, who is a gatekeeper from the world we can see to the world we cannot see. Mm -hmm. And we can all priestess in very different ways. We priestess at births. We can priestess at deaths. We can priestess at big life transitions, at turning of the wheel, But to me, it's a threshold holder and priestesses in my lineage, which is the 13 moon lineage are trained to hold coherent frequency or resonance. So we are masters of energy and you can measure this with quantum physics, but when you learn how to hold a field, like a tone or a tuning fork, or radio station, when someone comes into the field, it's like docking into a, like a station and you take on that frequency and it rearranges who you are. So I've been, and here's the thing, like I sort of get, I get a little like high horsey about this, but I think a lot of people call themselves a priestess when they haven't actually been trained Mm -hmm. and in a modality of a specific lineage. And just like an architect has a specific mastery of skills in order to build a safe house, I believe that a priestess has to have certain mastery of skills in order to hold a safe ceremony. And a priestess is not a Halloween costume or like Mm -hmm. 
goddess girlfriend. It's mm-hmm. a specific role in a community and it's a specific role in our, our transformational growth and in the most important parts of life. Yeah. 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 I feel the same way about the word shaman. Way too yeah. many people calling oh, themselves yeah. shamans. Yeah. Um, that's another podcast. I, I love the priestess archetype. It's one that I've always felt extraordinarily connected to. Mm-hmm. And I just got back um, last week from facilitating my women's retreat. And Sunday is our ceremony day. Sunday is their mm-hmm. initiation day. And the archetype, they go through different archetypes and the archetype they step into and start to like feel again as priestess when they go through mm-hmm. their initiation. And, and what I see in the, you know, there are 120 women in the room is how naturally women step into that. Yeah. Especially after they've gone through other archetypes and have had a grief release and an anger burn and have let the walls down, um, how naturally that veil becomes one apparent yeah. and two rather thin. Um, and this was after a holotropic breathwork session and everything. And it was so beautiful. You know, I love my women's retreat for so many reasons, but one, just to see women gather, two, to see women rage see women cry together and then, and then step into this beautiful ceremony together. The frequency in the room was palpable. It Mm. it truly was. And, and so deeply healing. And I think a lot of people, especially women, we underestimate our power um, in terms of being that bridge between heaven and earth. Absolutely. And so for people, especially women, um, well, I guess that's a good question. Is the priestess archetype reserved for women? Well, I don't think so. I I really feel like Jonathan, my husband, is stepping into being a priest mm-hmm. uh, and holding this level of frequency. You don't have to be Catholic to be a priest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some Catholics may disagree. <laughs> Some Catholics may disagree. Catholics yeah. disagree with me. Yeah. All yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. And okay. that's okay. We we yeah. can all have our beliefs and our our lineage. Um, so for people, for individuals who really want to step more into that priestess archetype mm-hmm. and maybe aren't going to go the full ordained training path, yeah. but want to have more access to that archetype, what do you recommend? Yeah, well, there are two paths that that I think are really great. Um you know, you can work with me in my Holy Woman membership community, which is a sacred feminine church, so to speak. And what you will do in that is learn about the sacred feminine, learn how to bring it into your everyday life and experience what it's like to be in ceremony and really be in the mystery school of life. If you want to start some more traditional training and you want to learn how to hold space yourself, as opposed to just being held in space for your own life and your own mission. I would recommend working with my teacher, Elaine Kalila Dowdy in the priestess presence school. And, um, I can give you the link for that Christine. So people can click on it. So those yeah, are great. the two, the two paths I would recommend. Great. Yeah. Anything in our daily life we can do. Oh yeah. I mean, my favorite thing to do in my daily life, I call it my sacred start. So every morning I get up at 545 and I have my basket of altar items and I walk down to my dock and I do a full hour practice every day without fail. I never miss it. I, whether I'm traveling or with family, like it is my thing. And it's a time to deeply listen to our soul on our own 
and to set some intentions for the day and to just get clarity so that we are less susceptible to our external conditioning as we go through Mm -hmm. our day. And I have a guide that's sort of a build your own sacred start based off of what you like to do. And for me, it has to be fun and juicy and creative and feel like pleasure. I don't do the like pain meditation thing. Yeah. Like hold your arms above your head for 45 minutes. Yeah. No, no, no. It's like, I pull cards and I dance. Like sometimes I'll do a pleasure practice and like I'll talk with a tree and, you know, do all those things. And so that's what I love about the work that I do is that it's super fun and really juicy and also hard, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's balanced. We go through epic excruciating deaths and incredible high states of ecstatic bliss. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about your work is it's really meeting you where you are Mm -hmm. rather than forcing into a state. Yeah. It's a more feminine approach of riding the waves. Yeah. Well, I really, you know, I went to church growing up and I loved it. I love that I could just show up when we could be in the community. It was right down the street. Um, but church wasn't going to be the thing that was going to be in my everyday life anymore. So that's why I created Holy Woman. I wanted Mm -hmm. there to be a place where people could come when they wanted to. And, you know, we're not down the street, but we're on the internet, unless you live Mm -hmm. near Boston, then you can come (laughs) on the street. (laughs) And I just, I want, I want this work to fit into your everyday life. You don't have to take, you don't have to go on a retreat or, set aside four hours. It's mm-hmm. just easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love ceremony because the subconscious mind responds so beautifully to ceremony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's such an important piece of, that's why I always include ceremony and ritual and initiation after women do a huge release. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about, okay, you've pulled a bunch of weeds and now we need to like one, make that really clear to your subconscious mind. And two, yeah. we need to plant flowers. Cause if you if you don't, weeds come back. Exactly. For people that want to start doing ceremony, can you give sort of this is funny structure to ceremony, but ceremony does have structure. That's part of what makes it yeah. ceremonial. Like kind of the beginning, middle end for it. If someone wants to start creating their own ceremony, what are the key guideposts to doing that? Yeah. So first of all, I would say it is great to go do ceremony with someone who knows what they're doing and to yes. be with other people. So if you can do that, do that. If you cannot, I think it's really beautiful to first create the container, create the space. So that could be logistical, like kids can't come in and to use ceremonial tools, candles, incense, water, I think are, um, really important. And some, you know, so you have all the elements you have air, maybe have like, if you want to have like a feather to move the air around, you have some fire, you have some water and you have some, you know, some like earth and some smoke. So you can bring that all around you. And then what I do is I empty out. So you go through the seasons of the cycles to bring this around. So Mm -hmm. I usually start in the fall idea. You empty out, you release anything that is bugging you, write it down, you know, or shake it out. However you want to release, release. I love burning stuff. Burn that, burn that shit mm-hmm. in the fire. <laughs> and then be in silence, be in the winter, be empty. And then from there, what naturally arises? What, what springs up from the ground like spring? And then can you see that thing that's arising grow into its fullness? 
and be in this energy of summer. And then ask, what do I need to nourish this specific dream or vision that's coming forward? Mm -hmm. I love that. But that's how I would do it. So my daughter is obsessed with the moon. Obsessed. I have these little earrings on. And if you can see them, they kind of look like a crescent. And she was nursing this morning. She looked up in my ear and she goes, moon. (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh, you see the moon and everything. So sweet. And so you're the perfect person to ask this. So she's, she's 19 months old, 19 and a half months old. Yeah. And I'm asking this for me, but also my audience, because I think one of the things we can do as mothers is do the best we can to keep our kids connected to the spirit world. Cause they come in so connected to the spirit world and magic and all of that. And I am going to do my darndest to keep her really Mm -hmm. super connected to that. So what, um, like I'm just using my example, if she loves the moon, yeah. so I could do something with the moon cycles, what recommendations would you have of things we can do with our kids, even really little ones like mine? Yeah. So when my kids were your kids ages, I would draw the moon phase on the refrigerator every morning. Mm-hmm. So I had a black refrigerator and white markers. So every day I would be like, are we at a crescent? Are we at half? Are we at full? You know, um, I always just name what sign the moon is in now, like at breakfast. So be like, Oh, like the moon's going to be full in three days or we're mm-hmm. in a waxing half. And then also you can see the moon half the time. So yeah. just like go outside, point to it. And I, yeah. I now like I quiz my kids. So they're always tracking the moon. They always know what phase it's in. Um, and it, it really does get ingrained. So now my oldest is nine and it's just, it's really just like part of their makeup. Um, other little things are oftentimes if it's a new moon or a full moon, just at dinner at family dinner, I'll be like, it's a new moon. Like what intentions do you guys have? Or it's a full moon. What are you releasing? So it's really part of our life. Mm -hmm. Um, about once a month, we do what we call earth church. So we sit and we do a circle together outside with our kids. And we go through that cycle. I just say, what are you releasing? What are you, you know, sitting? We do like a one minute meditation because I have like the loudest kids on the planet. And um, <laughs> and then we set intentions. They love building altars. And we just keep it quick, five to 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And we sing a song and that's it. Yeah. But the more that, the more that you, you and everybody listening, just like talk about what you see, what you feel, what you're doing, they, it just becomes part of their everyday life. Like both of my girls see auras. And so if they meet a new friend on the playground, I'll just, I'll ask what's their name, you know, what do they like and what's their aura color, you know? And so if, you know, Marshall was having a hard time at a baseball game, I'll be like, well, were you like picking up on like a certain energy that other people weren't picking up on? And he's like, oh my God, yeah, the coach this and blah, 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 blah. You know, so if you just ask and you just talk about it, like you're talking about their math homework, mm-hmm. it, it really does stick. Yeah. 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 I started asking her because since she was a baby, she, in certain places, she'd look up at the ceiling and her eyes would fixate. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is it a shadow? Is it a light? And when she got a little older, I'd ask her, do you see angels? Yes. And certain places I'm like, are there angels here? And she looks up, no. And sometimes it's a yes. And it's just, I'm trying to make it as regular, not even trying, I am making it as, as regular of a thing as I can. Because I think that 
if their sensitivity isn't honored and isn't normalized and isn't part of their everyday life, they will start to shut it down. It's true. And I think that's happened to so many of us mm-hmm. is we have this sensitivity, this, this psychic awareness, this intuition, this connective connection to spirit that we come into. And often it's just, it it's too much to feel it all. Yeah. You know, it can feel too much. So for those of us who did have that more shut down as kids, how can we start to reopen mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. Well, I think doing a sacred start every day is really important and trying to remember what were the tools you used as kids? Like, did you love playing outside? Did you love making potions? Did you love reading books? Because I believe that we naturally gravitate towards tools that help us remember our magic. They're like, they're like matches that light a fire in us. So for me, when I got my first tarot deck as an adult, I was like, oh, like it activated a whole remembrance for me. Mm-hmm. Or when I just saw like what happened, my like big spiritual awakening was I went, I walked into my therapist's house and she just hadn't cleaned up from ceremony the night before. So I wasn't even in ceremony. I just saw chairs on the floor from a ceremony the night before. And I remembered. Mm -hmm. So if you played in the woods, you know, go sit by a tree. If you used to make potions, like go to your local tea shop and make a blend for yourself and make tea Mm -hmm. and just like start to use the material to wake up the, the internal soul. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing my daughter loves is goddess oracle cards. Like, oh my God, my kids. Obsessed. Yeah. Obsessed. The best part is now, like, so now that our kids are older and when I get together with all my friends, we were just together this weekend, like all of our daughters who are now like eight, nine, 10, we're just sitting on the floor pulling cards for each other. Like just, (laughs) they just got a deck off of my altar and sat down and like organized the whole thing. And we were just like, this is the best. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So much better than a phone. Oh my gosh. So So much much better better than a phone. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So I want to talk about Halloween because oh, yeah. in the US here, we have Halloween coming up this, I guess it's Tuesday or something like that. Yeah. I think Tuesday. Um, and I don't really think a lot of us understand what Halloween really is about. Yeah. So yeah. can you indulge us? Totally. It's my favorite time of year. So, <laughs> so November 1st is the halfway point between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. So we're in this like deep, fall, we are right. We're coming out of life and into death. It is like the last flicker of the candle. We're about to come into the darkest days of the year. So if you think about it on the earth, we are at a threshold of light to dark, almost like life to death. And you can feel it in the air. We're also in Scorpio season. Scorpio is all about the cycles of life and death. You know, um, We have a full moon on October 28th in Taurus, which is all like super sensual and juicy and all about being in the body. And Mm -hmm. this was a time that the ancients knew that the veils between this world and the spirit world were incredibly thin. Mm -hmm. So in some lineages, like in the Mexican lineage, they have the day of the dead and Mm -hmm. they commune with their ancestors. Other people in Europe believe that some spirits would come back and, you know, trick people. And Mm -hmm. so there's all sorts of things they would do. So like in, 
in Western Europe, they used to carve little faces out of rutabagas and put them on their doors to trick the spirits to think there was already a spirit there. They couldn't go make mischief. Mm -hmm. Um, Or people would leave candy outside for their ancestors if they came back to visit. So this is where we get like jack-o'-lanterns and trick-or-treating and all this stuff where often people would dress up as scary things in order to scare away the, the scary spirits. So, but what I love about the energy of this time, so the Celtics called it Samhain, which is the word that I use for this time. And what I love about it is that it's really about bringing something that's been in hiding out. Mm. It's been, it's about like letting the layers that are hiding who you actually are shed, just like the leaves are falling off the trees. Like Mm. how can you allow yourself to be so raw and so barren and to let your inner darkness come out because our inner darkness is not bad. It's very Mm -hmm. juicy. And so Mm -hmm. I believe that this is why people love Halloween so much is because they have an excuse to let the part of them that's been hiding come out. So my philosophy is that like, if you see people who are dressed up as like sexy, this or sexy, that they are actually in a pattern of hiding their sensuality and they're ready to have it come out. Mm -hmm. If people are like a cheerleader or a fairy or like something fun, they're ready to let their, their inner play come out. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone's in like super, um, like scary darkness, like maybe there's some grief around Mm -hmm. death that needs to come out. If someone's in like a witch or a Maleficent costume, it's like the dark witchy feminine is ready to come Mm -hmm. out. And so I just like, so celebrate this time, not only the sacred, but also the secular because they are connected. And Mm -hmm. I believe that everyone is picking up on the energy of this time, even if they don't know it. What about for our friends that live in like Australia, New Zealand, that part of the world where they're going into spring, summer, what, when is this time for them? Yeah. So, um, this time for them is, is opposite of the year. So now they're in like the Beltane bonfire phase where Mm -hmm. they're going into the longer days. So it's Mm -hmm. just like totally flipped. Yeah. Totally flipped. So there's is more, is there any ancient, you know, holiday or time for that part of the world? Cause I know you talked about the Celtics and is there anything? It, it, you I don't what know what the, I don't know what the indigenous people of Australia celebrate during this time. Mm. Um, but I, or in their darkest that, in their winter, if there's anything like this kind of going in and revealing well, I, the darkness. Yeah. I mean, I really believe that the wheel of the year can be subjective and that yeah. People can celebrate the, you know, the winter solstice when we're celebrating the summer solstice. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just feel it. We can feel it. Yeah. But Halloween is a fascinating thing. My my mother-in-law is visiting from Greece and she grew up in Italy, Greece, and Australia. And so I've never Uh experienced Halloween. And she we were gonna come bring her out in November. She's like, no, I have to I have to be there for Halloween. I have to see what this is all about. (laughs) Okay. But thank you for bringing that piece of permission to it that is not just about dressing up. It's about letting out a part of us. Yeah, exactly. And I would just invite people to, could you let it out and keep it out? Yeah. 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 
Uh, yeah, that's that's the stretch, right? It's that's like you have permission right. on Halloween. One night only. How, yeah, yeah. But how can you give yeah. yourself that permission to, to let it out fully? So tell me about the the three-day ceremony that you have coming up. Oh yeah, I'm so excited. So when this podcast comes out, I will have just done our first call, which I just go through Sacred Feminine 101. So if you want to sign up, you'll get the recording of that. On Monday, I'm doing a two-hour traditional death ceremony where we're going to die alive and Mm. so that we can truly live. We're going to come in with the parts of us that are just ready to go and we're going to get super clear around the threshold we're standing at and we're going to go through a true alchemical transformation. And I'm really excited about it. And then on, on actual Sawan on November 1st, we're going to do some deep integration in order to guarantee that what comes up in ceremony sticks in our external life and do some strategy around just like you and I talked about, Mm -hmm. how do we change the external to match the internal? So it's sort of like foundational work, Mm -hmm. a big ceremony to talk to the soul and then some strategic work around how to make sure that our soul is safe in our life. And how do people sign up for that? So if you go to my Instagram, which is Sarah Jenks, and you just DM me the word rebirth, we will get you all signed up. Okay. Okay. And if there's way to do it. And if there's a link you want to send me to, I can throw that in the show notes. Great. Um, yeah. So people have yeah, it's just sarahjenks.com slash rebirth. J-E-N-K-S. Yes. And Sarah has an H. Yes, exactly. Um, okay, that's awesome. I'm so excited for people to have that. And I really want to um I want to talk about grief here and death because I think especially like people pull the death car in tarot. They're like, oh no, it's like, no, it's death is not. And I think that we live in a culture where birth celebrations are honored, but there's polarity. We live in polarity. And I know something that really happened for me with my initiation from maiden to mother Mm. was there were so many people celebrating the birth. Mm -hmm. I was grieving at the same time. Like I was so, of course, happy to have a baby, a little in shock, but definitely like in that birth and celebration, but also there is a big grief that I did not expect of my old life. Um, Maybe it was having a baby later in life. Maybe it was, you know, who knows what the reason was. Um, But I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how we can really honor our grief between rites of passages. Cause again, we live in this culture that just goes boom, boom, boom. You're on to your next thing or congratulations. And, and, and then there's the things that are obvious grief, like the death of a loved one or, um, but then there's some things that we don't grieve that actually need grieving. Amen. Yes, it's true. Well, this is why I love ceremony so much because the most important thing is to give it space and, and to name it. And to, because grief can feel so subjective and ephemeral and like, we can't hold it. But what I love about being in ceremony is that we, we take things that aren't of this world and we make it material by doing a ritual. So we can, instead of our grief staying in our bodies, we can write it, we can speak it, we can Mm -hmm. put it into leaves or paper that we're burning and release it. We can Mm -hmm. take time to honor the grief and how it has changed us 
be witnessed by other people. And it really does move it. And sometimes we need to do that over and over and over again until it has actually integrated in our system. But it's so true. And I had so much grief becoming a mother and, um, you know, I had so much grief when my youngest went to kindergarten and it's just going to keep going. It's just wild. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm my next grieving moment is weaning. I mean, I'm still breastfeeding. I'm like, Oh my God, I could cry. Just thinking about it. Make it a ritual. Like I have a friend who does like a weaning cake for her kids and they like make a cake together and they blow out the candles and they have a whole ritual around it. And, um, I did something similar with my youngest and, you know, right after we had our last nurse, my, my two older kids could feel it and they all came and sat on me in the nursing chair. We just like all cried. Oh my God. You're making me. (laughs) Oh my God. It was just like, it was so beautiful. And if you do the ritual, everyone feels it. And now like that chair represents something really important in our life. And I think that's why I love the sacred feminine because it's, it's spirit meets matter. And when we can give something material meaning, it gets stuff out of our bodies and has us like anchor in in different ways that are healthier. Yeah. And that's just, that's just life, right? It's this bittersweet death and birth cycle all the time, all the time. And I can feel the part of me like wanting to hang on to it for as long as I possibly can, you know, but it's like, she's got to grow up, you know, and like, that's part of, part of, um, it. And you know, and I, and it's like, there's a natural, not separation, but just progression. Of yeah. That. Progression. Yeah. Because yeah. here's the thing at every phase of our children's lives, there's a new and more beautiful way to connect. Yeah. And when we deeply listen to and hear when it's time to let go of one way, we get to learn a whole new way to connect with our children. Yeah. That is like so rich and beautiful and cool. Yeah, it is. What has been the biggest initiation for you in motherhood? Oh my God. There's been like so many. (laughs) My biggest initiation was with my oldest son because we didn't really bond correctly Mm. when he was a baby. And I got pregnant with Annabelle when Marshall was just nine months old. Oh, wow. And so um, I had a 17 month old and an infant and he just, he just didn't get what he needed mm-hmm. and he was really mad about it. So mm-hmm. I had to, he would bite me 20 times a day, mm-hmm. really sensitive, very um, active and sad and angry and I had to use every ounce of my being to just fill him with so much love yeah, and to find the parts of him that I recognized as love and as true. And we went to a ton of therapy and I had to take so many parenting classes and I had to go against the grain of what was normal and like really dig in and understand how his mind worked and go to the chiropractor and change his diet. Mm-hmm. And just like we, mm-hmm. I did all the things. Yeah. And um, he is now 
the coolest, most like regulated, incredibly talented, brilliant kid I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing too how we think that, oh my gosh, I'm damaging my kid forever. Oh my God. You're really not. Yeah. You're really not. Yeah. Uh, You know, Marshall will always have some stuff from that time in his life, I believe, but when it comes up, we talk through it. And what's cool is that now that Marshall's nine and he's older, like we do ritual together around his time when he was a baby. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll ask him what he remembers or what he feels and we'll, we'll burn stuff and I'll do a healing on him. And it's really, you know, we turned nine, we did a whole family ceremony and a sweat lodge and the whole thing. Yeah. 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 And the, the part of me, you know, that has my own things about motherhood too, like not as a bypass, but just as a remembrance, like he, he, Athena, they children have their sacred contracts that they come in with, you know, and like what happened needed to happen for whatever his soul needed to learn. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And And Marshall, and I'm sure Athena is the same way. Like he remembers his past lives. Mm. And so when he was little, he used to bring them up all the time. And there was some violent stuff that he would start talking Mm. about. Mm. And instead of telling him, instead of brushing it off, I like, I leaned in hardcore where I was just like, tell me more about that. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And then I just said over and over again, this lifetime gets to be a fun one. Mm, this lifetime gets to be a fun one. And I find that the um, most badass conscious awakened women get the toughest kids sometimes (laughs) because like we're what they need. You know what I mean? And um, it's been tough for me to balance like, you know, my career and motherhood for sure. But I've had to really lean in to this is one of my biggest assignments on this planet is to hold and mother and guide these children. And it's, it's not where I go first, but it is where I have learned to really ground myself. Yeah. 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 And having that sacred practice in the morning for you, I imagine Mm -hmm. is a big reason why you have capacity to do that. It's very true because it is like the hardest ceremony of my life every day from seven to eight o'clock, getting those kids on the bus. I mean, it's like leading a retreat with a hundred pissed off clients. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's actually easier. (laughs) It's insane. Yeah. What, what needs to go down with my three children in the morning? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you do it. And you oh show God, up. I do it every day. <laughs> and you have your your sacred start beforehand, which I exactly. think is is key. And that's what I'm finding new into my motherhood journey is that, you know, those times I take for me um are so so important, you know. So so important. So important. Yeah. So important. Oh my gosh, we covered a lot of ground in the today. So I I love it. I love it. Um, so we'll share the links with everybody. Um, are you still working one-on-one with people as well? If people are I'm feeling, not, okay. I'm not, I have a mastermind, um, which is the most handholding mm-hmm. you would get from me called the council. And, mm-hmm. uh, if you want to apply, just go to sarahjenks.com slash council. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And, and that's for people who want to do sacred work in their specific industries. So like I work with people in, HR and politics and mm-hmm. finance and medicine. I'm mm-hmm. um, also people who do work like us, but it's mostly people mm-hmm. who want to bring sacred work 
into their larger industries and make a big splash over there. Bless those people. I know. need it to spread. You really need it to spread. Yeah. All right. Well, you're going to send me a bunch of links. I'll make sure to put put them all up in the show notes. Everybody go connect with Sarah. Um, At the very least, go follow her. She puts out great, great content. Um, Thank you, my friend. Thank you for priestessing today on our show. It was so great to be here. Thanks everyone for being here. I love you all so much. Mm -hmm. 